and it's a great day to be in God's house, and it's a great day to be in this particular Lord's house because God's doing great things in our lives and in the life of the church. Uh, we had b- baptism today. Uh, there's churches that go years and they store Christmas decorations in the baptistry, and we get to fill that thing up all the time. It's beautiful. It's a sign that God's doing stuff. Uh, people go their whole life and may never be a part of commissioning a, a person or people into full-time missions uh, around the world, and we got to do that today. Uh, the Lord's sending a lot of people record attendance for the last several years, and I want to Tell you this, if, if you ever show up late and you feel like there's no place to park, or if you show up early and you want to help one of our guests find an easier place to park, on the road, the, the old entrance, which is on that end, we cut the curbs out at the top and the bottom so you can drive out in the grass, park in the grass. We have a golf cart. We'll bring you right up to the front door. Now, it ain't jazzy like some golf carts. looks more like Dollywood, so be sure to have your seasons pass, but we will let you in. And that will let you park and get curbside uh, delivery right up to the front door, so help our guests with that. And I say all that to say God is on the move, and he's doing beautiful things. We sang wonderful songs today from our worship team about, a team about the Holy Spirit just being free to come in and do what he wants to do and, and to empower us, and that's where we're at. We're in this it's incredible book in the New Testament. You can open your Bibles, your device to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 26, which is the, the, the second half of that book. And, and as we get ready, this book is called Can I Get a Witness? Uh, in, in the book of Acts, there's all kinds of amazing things that happen, just really cool stuff that you don't often see in life and you, you don't see it much in the Bible. But a lot of it just happens in this one book. And all of that that happens, we kind of get intrigued by that. We say, well, that would be cool to experience that. But the truth of the matter is it's not about all that stuff. It's not about the events in the book of Acts. It's not about the miracles. It's not about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It is about God choosing a people like you and like me to be witnesses. This book is God's cry to say, hey, can I get a witness? I've done such great things in your life. I, I've provided for you. I've loved the unlovable, which it looks like you. I, I died on a cross to rescue you from you. I'm, I'm preparing a place for you to spend eternity with me in heaven. And now he just says, can I get a witness about that? And, and we live in a world where everybody is witnessing about all the foolishness that they buy into, all of these agendas that are out there. They're just screaming their message. And meanwhile, the church is just kind of silent. And so I want us to move beyond that. I, I was excited about Lacey, who we baptized today. She, she invited everybody. They said she's invited. There's like 40 people here to come see her baptized. Okay, I love that. We should all be that way. We should all want our friends to know the Lord. And, and, and if we're unsure about it, that, that they would be saved, and maybe they're sure about it, but they, they've just distanced themselves from the church, maybe because of just personal backsliddenness, or maybe they were wounded in the church. Um, but whatever the reason, we should have a passion for the people in our world, uh, not just in Kenya. You know, we tell people all the time, if you want to be a great missionary someplace else, if you want to go to Inkai's Children in Kenya and be a great missionary, start right here. That's where we practice. That's where we developed our craft and our skill to be a great witness. We all have a job to do. And it is my prayer that God will continue to create an environment here, which is, which is his work, an environment here that's just it's intriguing and, and it's curious. And, and we don't want to miss because we, we're afraid we might miss something from God, that, that he might do something that, that we won't do again. 
And so that's what I want our church to be, and I want you to participate in that. Because at the end of the day, I want all of our, our love and our appreciation and our just uh, our awestruckness of God just to swell up to where we realize we're limited in our time here, either personally or from a kingdom perspective. Jesus could come back today, and if he does or if he takes us home, then it's game over and we will have missed our opportunity. And so we want to take advantage of every opportunity to share God's story with the world. So we got to learn how not to get in the way because it's all God's stuff, okay? He just li- likes to deploy us in his agenda, right? He, he, wants, us, he wants us to, uh, to be empowered. He gifts us to do things, each one of us differently, so we don't all do the same thing. But then he works it all together, and he makes this beautiful mosaic and this beautiful story that gives him and his kingdom the glory. So at the end of the day, we just don't want to get in the way. We just want to say, God, I want to be who you want me to be. I want your Holy Spirit to give me the power you want me to have. I want you to do what you want to do um, so you'll get the glory, and I don't want to quench the Spirit. I, I don't want to get in the way of your kingdom. And, and we got a lot of people sometimes that end up getting in the way. So what can we do to posture ourselves well to be who it is God wants us to be as an individual and as a church? Well, we're going to see this today in this passage in Acts chapter 1. The title of the message on the back of your life guide is simply this, Team Jesus. Team Jesus. Everybody say, Team Jesus. That's pitiful. Everybody say, Team Jesus. Okay, that's a little better. That's a little better. You know, we go to the ballpark, man, and we scream and we holler and we act a fool, okay? And then when he comes to church and we talk, start talking about our walk with God and being a part of God's kingdom, we kind of lose our pizzazz, okay? And that's wrong. We, we, we should be more excited about being on Team Jesus than any other thing in our life. I told Lacey, I said, I'm so proud of your decision. I'm, I'm so proud that you've come forward to be baptized. She's on Team Jesus, and we want to disciple her. We should all be excited. I'm, you're a young man, Keith. I'm 61, okay? I want to be more excited tomorrow about God picking me for his team than I was yesterday, and I want you to be the same because that's where, that's where the victory of Christian living happens. When we're excited, man, about being on God's forever kingdom team. I remember when I was a kid, I have a brother that's 14 months older than I am. His name's Jeff, and Jeff and I wanted to play Little League Baseball. So we got signed up, and we went to our first practice, and we were on this ferocious team called the Norris Creamery. <laughs> How's that for, for vicious, you know? I mean, everybody's afraid of the creamery. What's our mascot, a dream sickle? You know, and so this is our team, and we're just little guys, and there was older guys on the team, much more experienced, and so our coach, whose name was Chuck Strong, a coach was going to teach us some essentials, some fundamentals for playing baseball, and he watched his practice, and we could hit the ball pretty good, and we could throw the ball pretty good, but if he hit the balls to us, if he hit the ball to us, it might land in our glove, or it might be in the field somewhere. Okay, so he had to develop our ability to receive the ball. And I never will forget some of the instructions. It's like, here's what you got to do. You got to do this every time. You got to practice this. Do it every time the same. He says, you got to you get your hips out. You got to bend your legs a little bit. Hold your chest up. Keep the weight on the balls of your feet. Keep your eyes open looking forward. Keep your glove hand out in front and your other hand ready. And you got to make yourself the target for, for that ball, right? And then he said, do it the same every time. Well, 
That's like scratching your head and patting your stomach at the same time. It takes a little practice. Now, I know some of you just thought, I can do that. Well, aren't you special? Okay. But when you have to learn to do all of this stuff in preparation for that ball, practice over time, you develop. Now, the coach would put us in the game that first season, not because we were good, but to show us that we weren't, okay? But he knew we wanted in the game. You see, the dugout was boring. Ain't nobody wants to be in the dugout. Take me out, coach. I just like to sit over there and eat a snow cone, okay? Nobody wants that. We all want to be in the game. Well, the beautiful thing about Team Jesus, you can't want to be in the game more than he wants to put you in the game. That's so cool. You can't desire to be in the game more than he desires to put you in the game. So what do we do to get in the game? Well, when I read this passage, I've read it many times like you when you read the book of Acts. I've read it and it just kind of went over my head. When I read this and I read about these disciples who had just had a fresh 40-day encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Scripture says, convincible proof. Showed himself to over 500 people at one time. And then he says, are you ready for the commission? I've given you a commission. You ready? You ready? Wait. And I read about it, and I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, that kind of looks like us. Our church, we've seen great things over the last several years. God has sent us hundreds of people to be baptized. God has sent us hundreds of people who have joined the church. We have more people serving in ministry than we ever have. We have more people going on mission trips than we ever have. We have more resources than we ever have. And none of that matters if God isn't able to use it to its maximum potential. And so I think this passage is about church. I want you to pause just for a minute. And I want you to get some essentials down so you can receive what I'm going to send you so you can learn to, to, to do things better moving forward so I can trust you more when I put you in the game because he wants to put us in the game. Now, to do this, when we see this, when we read this scripture, we realize that God is the one who ultimately does all of the work. He's the one who sends the increase. He's the one who saves people that we witness to. He's the one that heals people that we pray for. He's ultimately the one that does all the work but he includes us in the game. He just wants to include us at what he's given us um, to be used for him. He he has gifted every person he saves with spiritual gifts and fruits of the Spirit. And then he, as the coach, he, he puts us in the position. He chooses the position he wants us to be in. That's it. And all we have to do is be found obedient, and ready, and then he will empower us and deploy us and put us in the game. And that's all we see. So, so I want you to see today on the back of your life guide. The first thing we're going to notice is the field house. The field house found in verse 12 of Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> now the field house of Team Jesus looks like this in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem a Sabbath day journey away. 
And when they had entered Jerusalem, they went to the upstairs room where they were staying. Now, a Sabbath day journey was this for a Jew. They knew you couldn't work on the Shabbat on Saturday. So if you were going to walk, you were only allowed to walk enough to where it wasn't called working. So they established the actual distance that you could travel. And so that's all the distance a Jew could travel without being considered sinful. So they go back to the place where they started, the field house. They've seen Jesus. They've been with Jesus, resurrected. And now Jesus says, I want you to go back to the field house. I want you to go back to the upper room where you started before I can commission you. Before you go out into the world with this message of salvation. And so the disciples met up in the field house. Now, now the field house is the place where the team comes together to be encouraged, to be motivated, to be charged up, to be unified. Because in the field house, the enemy is not in the field house. The, the field house is for the team, for the home team. And, and so Team Jesus now is meeting in the field house. Church, welcome to the field house. You see, corporate worship, like your group, your small group, that's the field house. That's the place where common team members come together to be rallied up, to be challenged, to be encouraged and edified, to, to, to look around and say, I'm not alone in this world. I'm not on this journey alone. All of us are moving forward, and we're on the same team. The field house is the place where the team reconciles its differences. Not out on the field. If you ever see a team that has disunity in the field house, when it gets out on the field, it shows its face, and it will not perform well. So in the field house, this is the place where we realize we're all on the same team. This is Team Jesus. Now, this is interesting because I thought about this week. If it were not for Team Jesus, candidly, I wouldn't, probably wouldn't know any of you. Only a handful would we cross paths. I would know my family. I would know my extended family. I would know a few friends of my family and extended family. I would know a few friends that I'd cross paths with other places. But if it were not for the ch church, I wouldn't even know you. But here's the thing. All of us are different. We come from different backgrounds. Some of us have a different DNA chain. Some of us have a different socioeconomic background. Some of us have a different uh, academic background. We all come from different places. We all are different. God's gifted us and wired us and made us different. But when we come together in the field house, we're all team Jesus. It's kind of cool, is it not? We're on the same team. Now, the enemy is not in the field house. I mean, the enemy may show up in the field house, but they're not going to feel welcome. They're going to feel estranged. And if the enemy shows up in the field house to create a problem, the team rallies up, and the enemy's out. You see, the enemy is for the team. This is the place where the team gets ready to be deployed into the next part of the journey into the game. And so we have a field house. We have, uh, we have a team meeting together, waiting on instructions. Number two, I want you to notice 
The Bible gives not only the field house, but it gives the roster for the team. Who all's on team Jesus? Who started out on team Jesus? He tells us. He says in verse 13, the second half, he says, here's the roster for the team. He says, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, were there, 11 in all. Verse 14, all these continued in prayer with one mind, together with the women, there's women there, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's, she's on the roster, and his brothers, they're on the roster. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, verse 15, a gathering, the roster, 120 people. So in the field house, we have the charter membership of the first church. We have the first team roster in the field house, 120 people strong. Now, why did the Holy Spirit of God inspire Luke to write the roster? I think it's to point to you and to me to help us realize God's not terribly picky about who he lets on his team, right? God picks the ones who others wouldn't pick. I remember when we were in Alabama, we had a little gymnasium for student ministry and we'd converted the old worship center and, and there was a girl and she, was, she had special needs. She, she could not play basketball. I mean, she just couldn't. And then we had all these other guys that were athletes, guys and girls. And every Wednesday night after the service, we would pick teams. And every, every Wednesday it went like this. Hey, if you want to be on a team to play basketball in the little tournament, get over on the wall. And about 30 people would go line up on the wall wanting to play. And this little girl who was not a basketball player every week would line up on the wall. And then I would pick like five captains and they were the best players. And I'd say, take turns picking your players. And every time, Brandy was the last one picked. Every time. Well, one night I preached a message on how God loves the unlovable and how he picks those that the world doesn't pick. And we finished the message, no special night, just another night. Anybody wants to play basketball, line up on the wall. They all lined up. There was Brandy. I picked the captains. One of his name was Alan. I said, Alan, you go first. And he said, I want Brandy. She said, me? And he said, yeah. The second captain started looking, and he picked the second worst ball player. Okay? Now, here's the thing. I want you to understand, before a holy, righteous, righteous, perfect, almighty, sovereign God, all of us look like brandy. All of us are the unpickable ones. And yet God looked from heaven right into the core of your mess and said, yeah, I'll pick you. And I never will forget that night was one of the best nights in Brandy's life. And after it was over, she came up and she says, I cannot believe that Alan picked me first. I said, yeah, it's because you were special and he wanted you to be on his team. And it dawned on me, that's the same with God. And that's what this roster looks like. You're not convinced? Well, listen to the names again. Peter. Peter's always mentioned first in the list. And Peter is an uneducated fisherman with a loud mouth. You keep going and, and you read John. John wrote the gospel the Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You remember what John said about himself in his own gospel? He says, I am the beloved disciple. Other translations, I'm the one that Jesus loves the most. 
And when they went to the tomb, he told them, I'm the faster disciple. Me and Peter went, but I smoked him to get to the tomb. Okay? That, that's the second, the first two mentioned have issues. And then we keep reading and we hear these other names. And then we get to one named Judas. It's not Judas Iscariot. Judas hung himself until his neck rotted and his body fell on the ground and his intestines fell out. Can you imagine being a disciple, the early church, and you're going around the world and you're introducing people and they say, this is Judas. And everybody's like, I thought he died. And he has to explain himself. No, I'm not Vladimir Putin. I'm Vladimir Tootin. You know, I'm not that other guy. Okay, I'm the different one. You know, so ultimately, you know what he did? His name's changed. His name's Jude. He wrote the little book of Jude in the Bible. Okay, this is what makes up the team. And then he goes on and says, there were some, his mother was there. There were some women there. And it says, Jesus' brothers. Now listen, if you were born Catholic and you were taught about the perpetual virginity of Mary, that's not in the Bible. Meaning that Mary was born and she died a virgin. In the Bible, Scripture says, Mary was a virgin. She was betrothed to Joseph. The Holy Spirit came upon her and she conceived a baby who would be Jesus. After Jesus was born, her and Joseph lived a, a, a common marital life and they had children of their own. Scripture names four boys and tells us that he had at least two sisters. Scripture says in Mark 6, these are his brothers or his half-brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and he had two sisters. Now, they didn't believe him the whole life. Scripture tells us they didn't believe in him. In fact, they thought he was a little crazy. And, and you know, what would it be like to have God with skin on as your sibling? No fun. You know, every day, why can't you be like your big brother? You know, legitimately so. And so they believed he was different, but they didn't believe he was a God. They didn't believe he was Messiah, Savior of the world. But when they met him, resurrected, they're on the team. They're on the roster. And so, so the other interesting thing is it tells us exactly how many people made the first cut. How many people made the roster? How many? 120, about. Now, here's what's interesting. Scripture says that for 40 days between resurrection, 10 days before Pentecost, which is 50 days between, between res- crucifixion, resurrection, and, and the Holy Spirit showing up at the Feast of Pentecost, that Jesus showed himself, and it says he showed himself to over 500 people at one time. This is resurrected God with skin on. And out of those probably a 1,000 people he showed himself to, only 120 showed up to be a part of the first church. Now, why do I share that? Because you know those people that you've invited to church a dozen times and they hadn't showed up yet? (laughs) They didn't show up for Jesus either. So you're keeping good company. Listen, you're not responsible for the results of your testimony. You're responsible to give your testimony. You're not responsible for inviting people for who shows up to church. You're responsible for going out and compelling that they'll all come in, that his house may be full. God just wants us to be obedient and not worry about the results. That is so liberating. You can tell everybody the gospel of Jesus, and if nobody that you know receives that gift, that's up to God. 
You may just be a seed sower. You may not be a harvester. You may be a waterer when you, uh, when you are a cultivator, when you invite somebody to church or, or share the gospel that maybe they've already heard. You're not responsible for the harvest You're, or the result. You're responsible for simply being obedient to God's calling. Now, what else is important about 120 people? You ready? 120 people, ragtag bunch. 2,000 years later, you're here because of them. That's pretty cool, isn't it? 120 people, that's all, 2,000 years ago, and today you are here because they did what they were supposed to do. And so we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do and let God handle the results. Everybody say amen. amen. So, so we got the field house, and then, we've got, uh, and then we've got the roster. Number three, I want you to notice, how do you get ready now? The team's in place, right? We're ready to go out into the game. We're in the field house. Okay, we got it. This is our team. We know what we're supposed to do. And God, uh, Jesus just said, wait. So what do we do until he tells us, hey, it's time for the game to start. What do we do? We practice. That's what it says right here. Verse 14, all these continue together in prayer with one mind. Four skills that these early, this early church, these early followers of Jesus, four things they were doing, waiting for whatever was next. Now, spoiler, spoiler alert, whatever's next is the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit, the dunamis, right? It's big. But until the next chapter, what do we do right now? Church, God has done great things in the life of our church. Nine years ago, there was about 50 people, and we were sadly in debt. And today, you know, there's probably 700 people here today, you know, baptized. I mean, it's, it's, it's God's doing great things. And I don't think he's finished. So what are we to do waiting for the next thing that God wants to do? We practice. We practice. So what do we practice? Number one, we have to learn to be faithful. It says here they all continued together. They were faithful. The Greek word is important here. It's proskartereo. Proskartereo. Now listen what that means. It means to adhere to, to be devoted to, to be content in, to be constant with, and to be persistent. That's what it means. So that's what they were. They said, man, I'm, we're sticking together. We're in this room. Field house is open. I'm in there. Team's having practice. I'm practicing. There's nothing else on the planet that if we yielded the same faithfulness to it, would we expect to accomplish anything? If, if in a month there's four field house worship services here in this room, four, four Sundays in a row, and let's just say you came to one of them, and I'm glad you did. I'm, I'm glad if you come one every 10. I'm totally glad you're here, okay? But if you're on a baseball team and you show up every fourth practice, you know where you're going to be? In the dugout. If you show up one out of every four practices on the football team, you know where you're going to be? Standing on the sidelines with a uniform watching the game. You wouldn't be put in the game. You wouldn't be utilized. You wouldn't be able to contribute. And it's the same on Team Jesus. He wanted them to be faithful. They had to learn to be faithful. And, and for us in a world 
we're learning to be unfaithful. It just seems to be our culture. And so they practice learning to be faithful to the Lord. Number two, or B on your life guide, they listened to the coach. Now you're thinking, oh, great, this is where the preacher talks about how good he is. Okay, I'm not the coach. I'm the pastor. I'm not the coach. Jesus is the coach, okay? I, I'm like bat boy, okay? So, so they listened to the coach. That, it says that 120 people were there in verse 15, and they know they have a really big mission in front of them, like go tell the world. They didn't have any way. They didn't, they didn't have a map. They didn't have a globe. They didn't have a plane or a phone or a computer. And Jesus said, I want you to go tell the whole world. You know, really big mission, okay? And so they had to listen to the instructions from the coach. They had a commission to go and a command to wait. What a dichotomy. Hey, I want you to go. Ready? Ready, team Jesus? Ready to go? Yeah, just wait right there. You know, I mean, what do we do now? They're practicing and they're listening to the coach. How do they listen to the coach? The coach got on a cloud and like flew to heaven. Are we going to listen to what he said before? We're going to get to that in a minute. It says that they prayed together. And they knew how to pray. They, you remember when Jesus was with them? He prayed all the time. It says he'd slip off and pray. He'd get in the garden, he'd pray. He'd pray for them. He just prayed. So much did he pray, and so great were the results of his prayer that these Jewish guys, these first disciples, went to him and said, Jesus, when you pray, it ain't like when we pray. What is different about your prayer? You remember what Jesus did in Matthew 7? I think it is. He said, I'll teach you how to pray. And he gave them the model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He taught them how to pray so they knew how to pray now. And so Jesus is gone. They had watched Jesus pray over and over and over. They had seen results. So now what are they going to do? We are going to pray. So the scripture says that they prayed together. I want you to know today that, that praying con connects this world to the next world. I want you to know that praying today aligns our will with his will. I want you to know that today that praying is a declaration, a declaration to myself, a declaration to the people around me, a declaration to God, and a declaration to the enemy that I am on team Jesus, and this is where I get my hope. This is where I place my faith. This is where I establish my trust and my expectancy. I'm on team Jesus, and that's why I'm talking to the coach. Now, if it's good enough for Jesus, it was good enough for the disciples. If it's good enough for the first 120 on the roster, you know who it's good enough for? You and me. We ought to start every day with a prayer. I'm the pastor. I'm the shepherd. I want to lead you to clear water and fresh green grass. You ought to pray every day. And many of you don't. You ought to start. Okay? You ought to, you ought to pray every day. James says, pray without ceasing. That means you never say amen because you're always praying. And I'm telling you, it's hard for me. You know, I have to practice this a lot. But I can assure you, when we pray, it changes us. And it changes 
the world around us. See, the third thing that they practiced was they leaned, they leaned on each other. It says they were in unity. They were together. They were in one accord. They leaned on each other. I've got friends in this church that literally I could call 24-7 and say, hey, I need help. They'll drop whatever they're doing, and they'll come and help me. And there's people in here that know, if you called me 24-7, if at all possible, I'll come and help you. That's what it feels like when we're in this family, on this team. It's, it's, it's different than team world. That's our enemy. But, but team Jesus, we lean on each other. Man, when things are going great, we lean on each other in joy. When things are hard and we're going through a difficult time, we lean on each other in support. We lean on each other. They leaned on each other in unity. It's understandable. It's understandable why a Christian doesn't always get along well or play well with others in the world. Because that ain't our team. That's team world. Now we love them and we want team world to quit their team and join our team. But until they do, they're not on our team. But here's what I find alarming is sometimes people on the same team are fighting each other in the church. Now, candidly, we don't have a lot of that here. And if we don't start a lot of that here, okay? But have you ever been in an old fighting church? If you have, raise your hand. It's ugly. I mean, the devil's ugly, but when he wears a Christian suit to church, he's real ugly, okay? And we've been there. We've seen that, okay? Not in the early church, and it's important that you and I are in unity with each other. It's, and that word unity doesn't mean uniformity, like, you know, we're all cookie-cutter Christians wearing the same little, you know, red suit and green dress to church, you know. Um, it, it means that we're all different, but we're in unity about beliefs. Scripture talks about this. It says this in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. He says, I therefore the prisoner for the Lord urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called. And then he says this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, I like this line, I never noticed it before. Listen to this, putting up with one another in love. <laughs> Some people in the church, you're just gonna have to put up with them. You're just, you're just gonna, you can't stand, they suck all the energy out of the room. They show up, it's like a vacuum. <laughs> the joy left the building, Right? You know what it says? If they're a believer, if they're on the team, you're just going to have to get along with them. You're just going to have to suck it up and get along, tolerate them. And then he goes on and he says, making every effort, every effort. Everybody say every effort. Our objective is not to be right all the time. Our objective is not to be first all the time. Our objective is unity. He says to make it, keep unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then he goes on, he, he points out, he describes what this looks like. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you two were called to one hope of your calling. There's one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And now I want you to see why it's important that we lean on each other in unity. Are you ready? Here's why it's important. Jesus said in John 17, he says, I'm not praying. This is his priestly prayer. His prayer was for the disciples and for you. Did you know Jesus prayed for you? 
when he was here. This is kind of cool. He, he broadcasted forward 2,000 years and he prayed particularly, that's easy for me to say, particularly for you. Listen to what it says. He says, I'm not praying only on their behalf, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their testimony. And you're a product of their testimony 2,000 years ago. The church is here because it just continued, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we're here, and Jesus prayed for you. That is just so cool. And he's still praying for you today. He's your intercessor today. So good. And then he goes on, he says that they will be all be one. Unity. Jesus prayed that you and I would be in unity. Then he goes on, he says, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, I pray that they will be in us, that we'll be all in in unity. Now, why is this so important? Jesus goes on. He says, why? So that the world will believe that you sent me. You see, if, if a church is divided, if a church is always yeah, yeah, and fussing and fighting and carrying on and looking for and, and highlighting the differences rather than, rather than the commonality, the kindredness of our spirit, then the world is not going to believe our story. But when the world looks around and says, you know what, I saw those people going to that church up there. They all look different. They all dress different. They all had different countenances, they had different hairdos. They have different clothes on, some of them dressier, some of them casual. Some of them driving, you know, $100,000 cars, not me. Some of them driving $1,000 cars. But when they walked in those doors, it's like everything is on an even playing field. They're either on drugs, smoking weed up there, or God has changed their heart. It has to be one or the other, right? It says when we're in unity, the importance of unity is so the world will believe that he sent us. That is so good. We're, gonna, we're not going to fight each other, but we're going to fight for unity because it's important for, God, for us to be in unity, for God to open the doors to the next chapter in the life of this church. And I don't stand here today to tell you, pretend to tell you that I know what the next chapter looks like, but I know this, it looks real good because God has been doing great things and we're trying harder than ever to posture ourselves to be used, and I want you to know you're in a good place where God's going to do something. I feel it in my bones. I've never felt, I've never felt the Holy Spirit stirring my heart like he is right now, and, and, and I don't know what that looks like, but I know it's good because when God is behind it, it's real good. So, D, they lived by the rule book. The fourth thing, they live by the rule book. The scripture now goes on. The scripture is the rule book, by the way. And, and, and this is what it says, verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a gathering of about 120 people, and he said, brothers, well, first of all, let me pause right there. Who elected Peter to be the captain of the first apostle club? Who, who picked him for team Jesus captain? Now, you know today if you walked in here and, and I was gone and there was somebody else up here preaching, you'd think, did we vote on that? Did I miss a meeting? Was I, what, how'd we get this guy? Where'd this clown come from? And you know what, the, you know what that's what they're thinking? He's a clown. You know they gotta have a conversation if they're like us and here's what the conversation is. I, I know him. You know him. He's a, he's a joke. 
This, this guy sunk when Jesus invited him to walk on the water. The rest of them stayed in the boat, but that's beside the point. It's like every time he opened his mouth, he was wrong. I remember he told Jesus, point blank, I won't. I will die for you. And then he denied him three times. This guy's it's all talky-talky, no walkie-walkie. And now he's the captain of the team, okay? Sure, he's the captain. There's not one ounce of rebuttal, not one hand raised and said, who elected you? Why? Are you ready? Because they were in unity. They were praying. They were following, listening uh, to the, the captain in prayer. So they're all, they all know Peter's the guy. And so he goes on, and now he has to address the white elephant in the room. What's the white elephant in the room of the first church in the field house of the first team? Here it is. He says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit foretold through David concerning Judas, who became the guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted as one of us and received a share in his ministry. Now this man Judas acquired a field with the reward of his unjust deed. And falling head first, he burst open in the middle of all of his intestines, gushed out. That's rated PG-13, maybe R. He said, this became known to all who lived in Jerusalem so that their field language, they called that field Hakeldama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his house become deserted and let there be no one to live in it. And let another take his position of responsibility. So he had to address the crowd. Why? Because this guy who dressed like they did, talked like they did, saw the miracles like they did, rolled up and down the streets with Jesus like they did, broke bread with them like, broke bread with them. Now he betrayed Jesus and he hung himself from a tree and either his neck snapped from decay and his body fell down and his intestines fell out and they're in the field house. Now let me just tell you, if this week one of you betrays me and goes down here and hangs yourself and, you, and your body falls and all your guts fall out on the street, I'm going to have to talk about you next Sunday. So don't do that. Do not do I don't want to talk about that. But somebody needed to address the elephant in the room, and so he did. And here's what he says. He doesn't point to the wickedness of Judas. Somebody asked me this after the first service. Do you think Judas, since he traveled with Jesus, do you think he was a believer? Do you think he went to heaven or hell? To which I, I don't know, but... The, no. I don't know, but I don't think so. Why? Because the fruit of his life did not point to him as a believer, number one. Jesus said at that supper that night, the devil has just entered a person in this room. He said, the devil is here. And then he called him the son of perdition, which is the phrase used for the Antichrist. So do I think he was a Christian? I do not. Okay? But I don't know that. We'll find out in heaven. But here's what I do know. Peter wasn't pointing to the wickedness of this man. Peter was pointing to the rule book. Peter, Peter said, listen, we've got a situation here where one that we knew is no longer with us. It was right here in this book. The scripture told us that this was going to happen. And here's why that's important. He's in the field house with Team Jesus. And he's like, Jesus told us that he was going to die for us. It went right over our head. And it said that in the Old Testament. And it was fulfilled. Jesus told us he was going to rise up on the third day. And it was in the Old Testament. And it was fulfilled. Judas 
hung himself and died. And the Old Testament told us that it would happen and it was fulfilled. And you know what Peter's thinking right now? Jesus told us to go up there and wait. And I'm going to send you something else. And Peter's thinking, it's in the Old Testament. It's going to happen. I want you to know today that this book is where we get our marching orders. This book is how we know God and His nature. This book is how we understand more about the nature of ourselves. And this book, everything in it will be fulfilled. And Jesus, when the disciples are staring last week, staring up into heaven as Jesus mounted a cloud and ascended back to heaven, and they're scratching themselves saying, I didn't know He could do that. And the, white, the men in white said, why are you standing here looking up? He's going to come back just like he left. you got a job to do. He's coming back. And until he comes back, Peter knew. <laughs> this, he said he's coming back. That's going to be fulfilled too. we got a job to do. And so you and I live in this world today where we've got a job to do. Here's what Jesus said about Scripture. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or even the stroke of a letter, not one yacht or tittle will pass from the law until everything takes place. Je Jesus has told us everything we need to know about the future. And he's told us what we're supposed to be doing in the interim, in the parentheses, until he comes back. And, and team Jesus needs to be just like these disciples we need to every chance we get we need to hover up and huddle up in a field house in his church uh, we need to be listening through prayer to the instructions of the coach we need to be leaning on each other and we need to be living according to the word of God which is always true now the last part of the book is kind of of, of the chapter is kind of interesting he says uh he says, uh, I, want, I, I want to fulfill this, fill this empty spot. I've told you about Judas, and we've got to avoid. We need 12 disciples. Why? Because we're supposed to go out two by two. And last time I did my gazentas, okay, two won't go into 11. And there's 12 tribes and 12 thrones in, in, in heaven. And so well, we need 12. And so they do some research, and they check all their candidates. They said, here's the criteria. We want somebody who's been with us since Jesus' baptism until the resurrection, and they come up with two. They come up with a guy named Barsabbas, and they come up with a guy named Matthias. And, and so they, they say, well, these equal credentials. These are both good dudes, and we don't know which one we're supposed to pick. So what did they do? They cast lots. You know what that means? They rolled dice. <laughs> they went to Vegas. Mama needs a new pair of shoes. Give me an apostle. That's what we think. But in reality, it's not what it was at all. They did all that they could do in determining who the next disciple was going to be. And then they said, we're going to leave it to sovereignty. We're going to cast lots, God. And it says they prayed, we want you to show us which one. And they cast lots. And you say, well, that's a silly way to do it. How do we make decisions? Emotions. Popular opinion. Uh, personal preference, which one's better? Prayer and rolling the dice or all of that stuff. And, and so they chose the, the, the disciple, Matthias, to fill up the void. Now, how do we finish this message up? Here it is. You ready? Look right here. 
Are you today on Team Jesus? Or are you still on Team World? It's a good question. It's the most important question in our life. Am I on Team Jesus? Or am I still on Team World? How do you know? Are you listening? Excuse me, are you learning to be faithful like the disciples? It may be because you're on Team Jesus. Are you listening to the coach by praying regularly? It's a good indication you might be on Team Jesus. Are you leaning on others who are on the same team in unity? It might be because you're on Team Jesus. Are you living according to the rule book, this book? You might be on Team Jesus. And if you're not, you need to change teams. How do you change teams from Team World and get on Team Jesus? The Holy Spirit invites you. You feel conviction in your heart that you're not a child of God. And you simply surrender. You throw up the spiritual white flag to God. And you say, it is on this day, I'm changing teams. Jesus, you said if I would ask for all who will ask, you will receive them. I'm asking you to save me. I want to exchange all of my brokenness for the perfection of Jesus. I want to exchange my mess for the message of Jesus. I want to be on your team. I want your Holy Spirit to come into my life and fill me. I want to live for you for the rest of my life and for all of eternity. And he'll save you. And I close with this. Why is that important? In this second half of Acts chapter 1, two people are highlighted. Peter and Judas. And I never saw this before. Peter and Judas. Both of these guys are epic failures spiritually. Spiritual zeros. You remember the story. In Luke chapter 22, it says while they were eating, Jesus notices that Judas has a crowd of soldiers with him coming toward Jesus. And Jesus said this, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Failure. And then we read in Matthew 27 that Judas regretted what he did and he took the money back. But because of his guilt, unhealed, unforgiven, unrestored guilt, he hung himself and it ended in death. And then the other epic failure is Peter. In Luke chapter 22, he's just told Jesus, I'll die for you. Jesus said, no, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And in Luke chapter 22, they come to him and say, aren't you one of his followers? No, I don't even know the guy. He cussed. I don't know him. After the third time, the rooster crowed. And this is what it says in verse 61. While he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And then Jesus, the Lord, he turned and he looked straight at Peter. How would you like that? Worst decision you've ever made and Jesus looks at you. Judas ran from Jesus in his failure. Not Peter. On the heels of failure, John 20 says, Then Peter and the other disciple, they heard that Jesus was alive. 
They set out to go to the tomb, and the two were running together. Judas ran from Jesus and hung himself. Peter ran to Jesus, and now he's part of the roster, and he's the spokesperson, and God's going to use him in incredible ways in the New Testament. And listen to me, there are people in this very room who have run from Jesus because of your failure. You have refused to allow Jesus to redeem, to forgive, to take you out of that failure and set you at a different place. You don't need to run from Jesus anymore. You need to run to Jesus and let Jesus restore you and let Jesus deploy you and let Jesus use you in his kingdom and he'll do it. He'll do it every time. How do I know? Because I stand here today as one of those who is an epic failure who in the moment of crisis and decision had a choice to make. Do I run from Jesus or do I run to Jesus? And in that moment, I made the right choice and I ran to Jesus. And here we are today. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and we're done. God only wants what's best for you. He loves you. He loves you so much he came down here and died on a cross to pay your sin debt so he could be with you forever. That's an incredible story. And it's truth. And on this very day, no matter where you are, you can run to Jesus. You can begin to prepare yourself as you run to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I don't know what you got in store next for me or for this church, but I want to be in. I want to be counted. I want to be on the roster. I want to be a starter. I want to be in the game. Help me today to understand how to posture and position myself best so you can use me for your kingdom. And if today it's the day that you move your name from Team World to to Team Jesus, we want to help you. We want you to take your connection card and write your name and just put on there, I got saved today. I join Team Jesus today, and I'll call you because I want to help you with the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. Father, we thank you for this day that we get to commission our friends, our brother and sister in Christ. We thank you for Lacey's baptism. We thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in this field house. God, we pray that you'll you, that we'll begin to do things to position ourselves well for what you have in store for us next. And we'll give you praise for it all because it's your church. It's your way. It's your will. And we trust you with everything. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.